Hello, welcome back to the Milk Road podcast. Today we're here with Mike Buckby, and I'm happy to have Mike Buckby introduce himself. Uh, g'day, Adam, and great to meet you again. And uh, it's lovely to be part of the Milk Road podcast series. Uh, and I'm the rain farmer for Cape Grim Water, and based in the in Tasmania, which is uh, one of the great states of Australia. And I'm based in the far northwest coast. And yes, I collect rainwater and sell that to world to the world. Oh, that's beautiful. I uh, I've always been fascinated with that, and I think. Um, the first question I want to start with is that Cape Grim created a brand in Tasmania out of something as simple as water itself. So how did that work? Like any journey, there's lots of bends and ups and downs, but you're right, it was something creating a brand out of something as basic as water, one of the tenets of human life. and. Uh, as a, as a farmer as well, Adam, I should say, I've got a family farm in the northwest. And as a farmer, we, we complain about rain, either we, <laughs> we don't get enough, we get too much. And so Cape Grim Water decided, you know what, let's turn that thinking on its head uh, and look at the fact that, you know what, people uh, want a high quality product and this beautiful rain, we might be able to sell that domestically mm. and internationally. And so it started off very, very small uh, in 1996. And now we're actually selling internationally as well. Now, the current pandemic has created a bit of a, a stop on that, but we are selling into Taiwan mm. uh, as well. And we are wrapped about that. And the feedback is absolutely terrific um, that people in Taiwan and other countries we were selling to value a safe, high quality product from Tasmania. And that's that's part of the journey. There are a lot of intricacies as well, things like freight and the usual stuff that any small business operating out of Tasmania has to deal with. Mm. Um, but that's one of the, the key things, mate, yeah. Yeah. Well, that whole um, uh, process to create a brand that uh, the, the people who started Cape Grim and then, um, and then to grow that story, right? And I think we're all learning about storytelling in Tasmania. And I think that storytelling is, it, is changing in the business world, like we talked about the other day. Yeah. Like Apple became an expert in storytelling. And there's a great podcast uh, by one of the uh, California VCs uh, by the name of Floodgate. And, uh, and they used the story model about how Apple used that story model where there's a hero, there's a villain, there's a victim, there's an old world, new world. And you guys have been using storytelling to uh, to grow that brand so that people understand how special it is, right? That is yeah. that is right. Yeah. T- tell us some of the uh, some of the uh, hiccups there, some of the success uh, in terms of doing that. Yeah. One of the things Adam we found early on uh, was talking to our customers, um, who are also our hero as well. You know, mm. the customers they want a great product, something different, mm. but they're prepared to pay for it. And you as the mentor. Correct. Yeah. 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 But we found very early on, because we're a very small Tasmanian company, obviously we're not going to compete against your, your Coca-Cola Amatools and San Pellegrino. Yeah, that's crazy, and, right? And stuff. <laughs> yeah. It is just, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. just silly. Yeah, you know that. where the hero's going with that. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. <laughs> I mean, so how do we compete against a billion-dollar budget? Right, I mean, yeah, 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 you yeah, cannot. E- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things we found early on was people uh, who want to buy our product um, or uh, any product this trend we found just a few years ago, mm-hmm. they want to get to know the people behind the yeah. product as well. 
So how do we sell that? How do we tell our that story? That authentic. Yeah, that it is authentic. It's right. real. It's it's a it's a luxury brand, yes. but it's also authentic too. It's not flashy, right. but it's authentic. So right. how do we sell that? And so one of the things we looked at was, okay, we have people that live in Tasmania that have real lives and actually get their hands into the product itself. Yeah. And so as a rain farmer, mm. that was something we, we put a story behind that. That's something that we, we grabbed a hold of. Yes. As, as, a, as, a, as a business, but it's a person behind it and it created this romantic image right. behind it. Which it's is a like real, a translation tool. Well, it is. So the people understand that it's authentic. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. But one of the, the uh, you mentioned some of the pitfalls or some of the things yeah. in the journey. Uh, we in Tasmania take rain for granted. You know, it just falls out of the sky. Too much. Too much, too little. And, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's right. We rain. complain, like, what's yeah, the yeah. first thing? Get much rain, right? So <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this little story. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah. About uh, a few years ago, I had a Japanese film crew um, out at the rain farm, and they were filming about uh, places, unusual places of the world. And so we were filming away, and uh, the day before, we'd had a lot of rain, so my pits at the hold the water were full. I was wrapped because, I thought, oh yeah, this is timing is wonderful, you know? So I took a couple of wine glasses out, and we were filming, and I had the interpreter behind me, and uh, the, person was, uh, the compare was asking questions, and she said, so, uh, Mike, here's rain, so what do you do with it? Which I thought was an interesting right. phrase. Yeah. And so I said, well, here, would you like to try some? So I very dramatically dipped the wine glass in the water and yeah. took a sip, and here, would you like some? The, the compare went very quiet. She said to the interpreter, let's stop filming. And I thought, <laughs> what's going on here? And found out what had happened was, they never had rainwater before in their lives because right. it's all spring water. Okay. Rain in the northern hemisphere, especially Japan with the acid rain and pollution, yeah. it's dirt classified as dirty. Oh, right, yeah. So it was a whole mindset for them and right. for me to realise, right. oh, yeah. wow, so what we regard as normal yeah. in Japan and China and right. other countries requires a whole change of mindset and marketing and how we tell the story as well. Yes. Yeah, so, that would be all yeah. new, but it's a different category. Of course it right? is. It's a it's new, a, you've created a new yeah. a new category of, uh, of drinking water. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. But it's also the fact that, so the rain farmer, yeah. we've developed that, from, brought it on further, was the fact that it's not a factory recommended, it's not a factory made product, it's not something that's... Right. But it's real people, and this is how we do it. Yes. So we actively sell. This it's is funny how that we they came it. all that physical way without actually understanding yeah, I, what, I, what it was. I right? thought, who's done your research? Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's so funny in terms of like that cross-cultural miscommunication that can occur. Mm. Right. Like something so simple as that. Yeah. Is, exactly. Oh, this stuff is actually rainwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you can hear it, but unless you see, see it, it, maybe you're confused. Until you it actually it. hits you in the face. Right. <laughs> or you have to drink it. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, that, was, so that was fascinating. How did it go after that then? Oh, did she, uh, well, did they break didn't start it for about 10 minutes because right. everyone, there was about 15 there in the production crew. That's beautiful. They all wanted to have a drink. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's and they good. all took a class. So you back. got them over, this, uh, yeah. over that hurdle, right? It's yeah, like yeah. they went on a journey 
Uh, and then they kind of had to fight their uh, their villain, which was the confusion yeah. of what this stuff was. And then once they realized it, then uh, it was like they embraced it. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah. That's great. And that was one of the things that yeah. also we've realized from then yeah. was, uh, was that uh, we just said we're the world's purest water. Mm. And it was said it's by... It's a big claim. It's a big claim. But then, as I said, well, who sells unpure water? Right. Who's going to buy right. the world's third purest water? Right, right. Every brand's the same. Yeah. So it's actually telling the story now. Well, yeah, it is pure. But the reasons being, Cape Grim, and, and this is an interesting story, mate, too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as to why we selected Cape Grim as the brand, as the, the story. Cape okay. Grim Water. Right. So at Cape Grim, there's an air monitoring station that's one of three in the world. Now, the one at Cape Grim is operated by the CSIRO. Uh, okay. Government authority. It's, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. CSIRO is a world-class yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, scientific organisation. Yeah, yeah. So, been there for 40 years. And uh, 44 years now. And so, we, we knew from that data that the air that comes from off the Great Southern Ocean, so if you look at Cape Grim, you look at Tasmania in the map, and you see that direct line, mm. the nearest landmass is Antarctica, about 4,000 kilometres away. Mm. If you go west, you miss Africa, spins right around the globe, yeah. all ocean, no industry, to the tip of South America. So it's a very, very pure area. Yeah, no industry. No in that, industry. Uh, in that latitude. No, that's right. right. On that latitude, right, and no is industry. It, does the wind blow that way? Yeah, it does. Right, it okay, naturally yeah. goes round, right, right, right. no clockwise in that way. All right. So uh, for 40 years... They, they've known that uh, when the wind blows off from the southwest, it's the cleanest mix of air Globally. on the planet. On the, right. planet. on the planet, yeah, right. So, mate, when you look at the IPCC reports on global warming, on, on climate change, Cape Grim Air Monitoring Station is always referenced in every single report as the cleanest air in the world. That's baseline air that the rest of the world is referenced to. Right. So... Oh, right. We, it's the it, standard. That is yeah, the rest the of the high bar. It is. Yeah, right. So that's when we know when oh. the rain comes off mm. from that direction, it's the cleanest rain in the world, yeah. cleanest water in the world. So and, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. And so when we were talking, we had a great chat up at Cradle Mountain the other day. That was yeah, really that fun was over great, lunch. Yeah, yeah, thanks. And uh, we were talking about how this um, this the story model, uh, which works in, uh, in the movie industry in Hollywood, uh, the companies like Apple, uh, for a number of years have been using that to tell their real stories better, their authentic stories better, right? And you and I also talked about how um, uh, the, the reality is that water is a life force, right? Hmm. You know, and there's, exactly. a, there's a few, you know, in a way, you know, when, when any human's born on the planet, there's a, only a few things that are a life force, and water's a big one of those. Uh, and I think, you know, that's... Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your thinking with that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right, um, and it was a great uh, day up at Cradle too. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank um, you. But yeah, water is one of the key things of life. So when you're born, um, you know, there's milk, it's shelter, and water is pretty well up. Warmth, there. right? Yep. Yeah, Warmth. it's like yeah. I think you know, human babies, I imagine, uh, can survive uh, on those four life force tenets. Yeah going forward. And, and that's why people, uh, when they hear that you have the cleanest water in the world, it's like they're being drawn to that life force. And they know that it's so special. Well, they know it's special. Yeah. Um, but also, and we're finding this with our friends in Taiwan and also um, Singapore and China, but it's, it's, a, it's a message we're getting back a lot, 
is it's a it's a force that they want, but because of the increasing pollution mm. in a lot of those countries, and it's something until you go there and you experience it and you breathe it and you right. see it, yeah, um, we take for granted here in, in Tasmania. So that which water, is fair enough. Yeah, like it's if fair you, enough. When, whenever if you live in a gold mine, you think it's just another rock. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought right. of that. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we, we looked at water um, as part of what said, how are we going to tell the story about what we do, yeah. not just domestically here in Australia, but also... Yeah, globally, right? Globally because, I mean, well. just serving into Taiwan and Singapore, and you mentioned maybe the mainland. Yeah. I mean, that's such scratching the surface. It is of fair to say is. that there, if everyone in the world wanted this rainwater or even well, a small portion of yeah, it, yeah. there's not enough. No, it's no, a, that's it's exactly a, It right. is a seller's market. Yeah, yeah. It's about getting that story in authentic so that people understand it, like that Japanese crew, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Right, so yeah. Had, what part of that marketing, that storytelling about our product was yeah. um, how do we frame it you know, mm. in, in, into a... Uh, something that we can say, here's how Cape Grim water fits in, something as basic as water, onto that story, into those yes. places, yeah. so into um, into Asian countries, for instance. Yes. Yeah. And one of those, and that's what we're getting very excited about, the new milk road. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was because it, it really dovetails into our narrative about... You know, you mentioned the seller's market, yeah. and that's something that we can explore a bit a bit later. Yeah. Here in Tassie, we got used to the fact that, oh, well, we're at the bottom of the world. Mm. It's too far to come. Hopefully someone will come and buy our product because we're isolated. The tyranny of distance right. yeah, um, that has one, been yeah. so. Yeah. Natural fact, we're turning that on our head it's, now. It's flipped. The, yeah. We didn't flip it. The world flipped the, it. The world flipped it. Right. They're the demanding quality, it, right. high quality, right. safe, high quality product. Yeah. But how does it dovetail in? And so on the milk road, we're, we're not just looking at supplying food into those places, mm. but also investment can flow mm. from whether it be Hong Kong or Singapore, we're looking at how do we invest in a place that's got good production systems, intelligent um, people that know how to produce high quality right, food. Right, I mean, yeah, like building um, a world-class food system is, is an art. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. these people are looking. so. It's, right. two, it's a two-way street. Yeah, it's that knowledge, too, that flow of knowledge. Yeah, exactly. So when you and I first met physically, I think that was in Tassie up at Agritaz. It was. Wasn't it? Right. Yeah. So we're at the, if you will, at the south end of the Milk Road. Yeah. And then the next time was in uh, Hong Kong uh, having a beer over in Wan Chai. Uh, it was a beer in a bar in Wan Chai. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And that's yeah. where you first showed me the... I think that's where we talked about it. Yeah. Like, it was a, as an idea. Like, what yeah. do you think of this? And, and I think we both were like... We think that's a good idea, and I think we weren't really sure why we thought it was a good idea, but we just kind of were drawn to it. Is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. And when I, when, uh, congratulations on the idea, too, because it frames it a whole, in a whole range of areas of reasons. But one of the reasons being, I'm also uh, a man of the land as well. So yeah. I still have a family farm in the northwest coast. Uh, I was born up in, as a dairy farmer, so... The milk road for yeah. me that spent thirty years at the back end of a cow milking yeah. milking cows. Right. Um, for me, it was just brought at home. Oh, that's it great. Was, yeah, and yeah. that that's, I mean, that's why. And now I got involved in Cape Grim Water and, yeah. and another and you basic from, commodity from that uh, from that situation in, into a brand, which yes. uh, which I think is where one of the reasons why a lot of farmers are struggling is you moved 
up the uh, or you move down the um, down the the, uh, the food chain, yeah. right? Closer to the consumer, yeah. Which is where all the profit margins are, yeah. Right. So most farmers are struggling the, because exactly there's a huge wrong. drop off of the profit margins. Like, how do you? How does that? How's that supposed to work, right? Because yeah, yeah. farmers are really good at what they do. Yes. Yeah, whether it's growing spuds, sweets, yeah. or, or berries, or, or whatever it may be. And if they didn't Flowers. do it, where would we be? Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. But there's been that inherent gap between the farmer who is you know, down there doing all that great stuff. Yeah. The, the customer is at the other end of the Milk Road in, uh, you know, it could be a wet market in Hong Kong. Wherever they would be. Or wherever yeah. they yeah. may India, be. Indonesia, India, Indonesia, Philippines, wherever right. it yeah. may be. Yeah. Yeah. How do you link the two? <laughs> right. And, and that's been one of the key things that I've found since moving along from, from milk right. to, to water right. and, and being a part of that journey. Having control over the branding and message that correct. goes out. Because the, the branding message seems to determine whether you receive profit margins or not. Yeah, or a greater percentage right, yeah, of the, the profit pre- margins. Exactly, right, yeah. Because inherently yeah. up until, as a, as a dairy farmer, for instance, for milk, yeah. it's been the big company... Mm. Collect your milk, trust us, right. we know how to market your product, and we'll just do that internationally. And, uh, and that's what's been happening up until recently, you know, that milk from Tasmania yeah. has been put in with the marketing, the rest of the milk from Australia, right. so whether it's a Fonterra or yeah. um, wherever it may be. So you look at it now, uh, the major processes now are international are corporates. Right. So whether it's Saputo, our Canadian company, um, whether it's Fonterra, New Zealand company, right. Cadbury, uh, uh, Mondelez, which I think is Brazilian, I, I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. So we've got these international corporates now who are in control of the marketing for the m- majority of Tasmanian milk produced right. under great conditions right. here in Tasmania. Right, that branding message. Yeah, mm. That's what I would say we might call like one of the challenges of the milk road economy. I yeah, bet. well, yeah. Exactly. and how's that going to work? Right? Well, exactly, mate. Yeah. And it's not also as yeah. when you look at the attractiveness of mm-hmm. Northwest Tasmania or Tasmania in general yes. for producing milk. Mm-hmm. It's been the family farm. For well, that's yeah, the family farm, right? The yeah. family farm, right? Yeah. In the last three years, yeah. To this date, we've gone from where family farms were ninety, ninety-five percent of all family farms in Daring in Tasmania. Yeah. Would you be surprised to know now that it's now 70% international corporates own wow, that's the a family huge dairy farms in Tasmania? So it went from 90 to 30. To about 30%. Right. And why do they come? Because... Well, they, they, know, they know they can do it. Correct. Right? Like, it's like the, the farmer doesn't have the ability to, um, to make that work. And then, sadly so... Uh, the Murray Goulburn situation oh, where yeah. people were, I believe, uh, were committing fraud in terms of that enterprise. So farmers were putting their trust into people that, uh, that didn't know how to arrange relationships on the m- new milk road yep. into Asia, if yeah, you will. That's right. Right. So for the hard work those farmers put in, and yeah. I know personally, I was a dairy farmer for nearly 30 years. Yeah. Uh, why shouldn't the farmer have a greater share of the profits of that journey and the profits from what they're doing. Right. But it's ne- needing a greater control. So whether it's a, co- a cooperative type model, now it doesn't have to be milk, it could be... Which, uh, which it was whatever, before, right? Yeah, 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 correct. Yeah. And that's unfortunately, that's lost 
now, but it needs to be re-engaged. Well, you're the one who suffers the most, right? Yeah, I know, the exactly. The consumer. Yeah, right? exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. then they end up getting, you know, that the type of, uh, of, of product that you described yeah. the other day when you taste wine, right? Like when you drink this water, water A versus B versus, uh, you know, your, your rainwater, uh, people have a better experience of Correct. the food that they eat. That's exactly right. Right, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so that's... The demand now, yeah. because of the rising middle class, and it's a, it's, it's a journey, it's all part of this journey, mm. it's a rising middle class across a whole raft of countries are now demanding a higher quality food, but also uh, uh, that they know has come from a safe place. So right. they, they want to know, they want to be part of the journey as well. So they want to come to a place like Tasmania and saying, this is, this is really great, but who are the people behind it? So it's Joe Bloggs at Sheffield, or it could be... Well, it's um, Mike Buckby. Mike Buckby at... Uh, at, uh, at the, rain, the, ra- the Rain Farmer. Rain Farmer. With, uh, with Cape Grimm. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They want to be a part of that journey as well. Yeah. So whether it's using technologies like QR codes so right. they can research and... and well, also, on. too, in terms of Tasmania itself, right? Uh, and, and if this is a model, the storytelling model... Right. Mm. Yep. That, yep. that Apple used, and you yep. guys are using, yep. and successful companies are using. Right. Yep. Right. Uh, if people don't start using that model in the in their business and other industries in the economy, if they don't start using uh, a storytelling model, what do you think is going to happen? You dilute the brand, and it makes it so much harder. Uh-huh. So you can uh, at uh, individual businesses want to do their own single thing, you're reinventing yourselves, mm. but they should be looking at... They'll be ignored. That, exactly. Right? Like, literally, there's, there's either, you have it, either your story is a currency, right, mm. and it's circulating in the market, or it's not, and you don't. Yeah, and there's a lot of white noise, yeah. and you've got to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. So we should be forgetting about, oh, well, uh, someone from Smithton business... Uh-huh. And someone from Launceston, they're my competitors. Well, no, right, they're yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. At some level, yes. At, at another level, no way. And that's where right. things like, and it's, it's an evolving brand, but the brand yeah. Tasmania yes. message needs to be embraced by so many more businesses as a part of that storytelling message as well to incorporate that into their product. Right. I, I believe that too. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've only been in Tasmania for two years. Right, and uh, what I've seen happen with Brand Tasmania has been very positive. Right, yeah. you know, and and, uh, and I think some of that's come from learnings about storytelling overall. Like people that were running Brand Tasmania, say ten years ago, didn't have uh, access to tools that are now available. Exactly today, right. right. Yeah, like yeah. you know that whole Nancy Tuarte story, villain road, yeah, new yeah. world, old world. That you know, I only learned about that uh, you know earlier this year, or even a couple months ago. Mm. Right. So how do we start um, using these, this new way of thinking to, um, uh, to position ourselves in this new economy? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. And it's one of those things. It's, it's, taken a, it's a journey that sometimes takes not a lifetime, but it's, it's constantly evolving as well. Yeah, yeah, Having the maturity yeah. and the confidence in your product as right. well yeah, and yeah. where you are right. and how you sit in the world. Right. Um, and it's funny, and I think I mentioned to well, you that's the other the, day. The confidence thing. Yeah, yeah, confidence. Yeah. Confidence. Think, like, like people are not confident enough to invest in the milk industry here, so foreign companies do it. Yeah. 
right? And that's what's happening right. now. <laughs> Sorry we, to interrupt. Go yeah, ahead. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we mentioned the other day up at Cradle, um, yeah. Cradle Mountain, uh, as part of our discussion. And uh, it's, it's funny, um, being involved in, in the community here for a long time and yes. the, the, the oral stories that come back through my family, which is typical of many older families oh, yeah. in the area, yes. was that we're going back to the future now. Right. So I've got transcripts uh, you know, that where my uh, great-grandfather was quoted saying, I just wish the, uh, the government officers would spend more time out in the fields talking to farmers and not being in Hobart. Uh-huh. This is my oh, next, right here. Who yeah, said this? Yeah, this is my great-grandfather, 1905. Oh, right. And I'm thinking, wow, wow how things changed. <laughs> <laughs> is and, that an email? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, well, I think it's the Wellington he Times. Said, wait, just repeat that one more time. Yeah, he, he said, said I, wish, I wish the government officers would spend more time out talking to farmers on the ground than what they do in their offices in, uh, in Hobart. Now, obviously, it's it's it's, fair it's enough, been, right? you know, I mean, look, it's a long-term problem. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not, if we could solve it, somebody would have, yeah, right? exactly. It is a challenge. But right? I guess, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah. taking that step back was saying, when I mentioned it's going back to the future. Yeah. Um, back in 1905, and even earlier than that, in the late 1800s, right. Tasmanians were exporting um, cheese to uh, the, the mainland of Australia and into the UK. Um, yeah, that, that's were, amazing. Yeah. Potatoes were being sent on bullock drays from the farms down bush tracks to be unloaded in bags onto sailing ships, to be transposed to larger sailing ships and sent around the world, including Asian countries. Now, wow. this is 100 years, 100 plus years ago. Wow. But the confidence then, the demand then, was right. for quality product. Well, maybe that's because the story was so new. Like, you know, those yeah, people moved point. over here, yeah. right? And it was like, um, they moved over here and they were like, hey, we have the best things. We'll send them back to you. Yeah. And they had that family connection. Maybe yeah. that's, that, that could maybe that was uh, one of the drivers. And then over the generation, that kind of fell away. Yeah. But now we're seeing a new uh, migration stream come into Australia and Tasmania yeah. from Asia. And I think right? too, so maybe the, and yeah. then that's creating these new trade routes. Is that yeah. what do you think about that idea? And I think it's, yeah. it's with the information technology that, that's available now yeah. as well. Yeah. It's probably enabled that rapid for sure, like WeChat well. and all that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, so it's exactly. like saying here it is, I'll I'll be your Daigo and I'll buy this exact thing yeah. and I'll send it to you right now. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And that information to be able to sell your story as well as quite easily. So, yeah. you know, I can be, uh, whether it's on WeChat or whether it's on whatever other um, Yeah, platform, whatever platform, right. You yeah. can tell your story quite easily yeah. Um, now. Yeah, it's all about content now. Yeah, exactly. You need, you need a story that people are going to pay attention to. Yeah, and through the, with the uh, platforms like, and you, this is only an example, yeah. I guess, um, uh, mate, was things like uh, Amazon um, have the platform, the selling platforms, is yeah, I've heard exam- about one. Yeah, 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 there's, yeah, there's one of those. So it was uh, a, a series of webinars. I, I get heard about this just recently. Uh-huh. Uh, the Australian um, and Tasmanian Trade Star have been putting a series of webinars together, talking with high commissioners in various Asian yeah, countries. Yeah, I, I attended one of those, and yeah. it, was, it was good. It, was, yeah, yeah. it felt like a good step. Yeah, right? it was yeah. a good step. But was one of the things was was uh, really interesting was that... Um, the rise of e-commerce platforms uh-huh. across all different countries. Right. And with the pandemic that we're currently in and what happened in about four months yeah. um, previously, that in places, I think it was Indonesia, and I stand to be corrected, but it's been rising, the 
e-commerce trade yeah. has been rising 30% month on month right. in the four months previously. So where they were relying on yeah. um, outdated distribution systems within those countries outside the tier one cities, especially mm -hmm. in India, for mm -hmm. instance, mm -hmm. and now with e-commerce platforms being established and the distribution from there, yeah. we have this fantastic um, availability for us now as producers here in Tasmania to supply those distribution systems knowing sure. our client, our hero in in India, yes. in, let's, let, let's say uh, Mumbai for instance, right. can go to Amazon um, and their Amazon Australian portal right. and they can go and buy, order Tasmania water, Tasmania cherries and they can have it delivered to their home yeah. within three or four days if it's held within their warehouse. Right, and that, your customer is a hero because they're bringing safer food uh, into their family, yeah, into exactly. their marketplace, right? Yeah. Which is, uh, as we know, you know, uh, unsafe food systems are not good. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is probably, which I think is one of the drivers for Mr. Liu who bought uh, VDL. Oh yeah, uh, Mr. Liu. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. And that's what he's actively looking at, I believe, right. now as well. Yeah, like a problem. It's about solving problems. So you and I talked about like the Milk Road as an idea, right? Yeah. As a name, right? What problem does it solve yeah. in terms of what we have? And uh, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, um, distribution mm -hmm. uh, and, and how story models have a, have a hero, a villain, uh, a mentor. Uh, an old world, a new world, and then a name for the journey that they take. And so how do we communicate that? So that was the fun conversation we had at yeah. that bar and lunch yeah. which is saying, I think the gentleman's trying to build a milk road. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? And why is he doing that? Because they have a problem to solve. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many people there that that problem's going to take a while. Well, and how's that going to affect while. you and your neighbors and my neighbors and me, right? Yeah. Well, the, 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 the first step is, of course, is to realize that uh, you're not going to supply the whole world. Tasmania, for instance, is not... Our companies here aren't going to supply the whole world. Forget about that idea. Seller's market. It's a seller's market. What, you know, your cost of production is slightly more than anywhere else. Freight is an issue, yeah. Right. But tell your story to counteract that disadvantage, that tyranny of distances yeah. uh, was, was often said. Yes. How to make that story tell and that make it an attractive proposition. So it's not just... And also to find the right customer. Well, true. Right, like, yeah. you know, it's not so much in a seller's market, it's, it's more about actually finding the right customer. Yeah. Exactly. Who, who values that story. Yeah, and, right? can, yeah, yeah. and actually pay for that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that, so, that story. Right, so you and I are thinking that, because um, I've been doing it, I've been using the Milk Road to find the right people, right? Yeah. You know, how do we get alignment of thinking? Yeah. And uh, in your story, your Cape Grim water brand story, you use that to find the customers that can afford the water, yeah. <laughs> that value the water, right? Yeah. And to catch their attention, right? Yeah. And be a part of that f the family. Right. Uh, and, and that's what it comes to. It, it's uh, it, the relationships that can be very, true. very strong, can be forged stronger. It yeah. takes time, though. It, it isn't, you know, we've been... That's since, for sure. You right? know, yeah. In, in now in 2020, so 24 years, the company has been in existence. It's, it hasn't all been plain sailing, you know, like anything, you have a capital investment and there's a lag time from when you invest. To, it's bumpy. To it's a bumpy it's road. It's a very bumpy road. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a super highway. There's no a, way. There's a lot of potholes and bumps on the way. Yeah. 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 It's, it's great to, uh, 
I think maybe we should just go back and touch on uh, your. Uh, it was your great grandfather was yeah. talking about this the uh, the trade routes that were there before, yeah. right back into the UK. And I think some people um, uh, are trying to rebuild those. Right, yeah. they're going okay. Look, you know, we've got some relationship challenges now in Asia, yeah. right? And how do we find new markets? Um, but it also feels like, in terms of the four billion people just to the north of us, and if we carve out. Um, you know, one of them, obviously, China is already our largest trading partner. If there's business risk that we that that it makes sense to reduce because that um, that door can close from yeah. one week to another, right? Yeah. How do we reduce the business risk that suppliers face? Uh, because then it just makes it uh, too, too yeah. easy, right? So, mm-hmm. how do we use that um, story to um, to find those new markets? Because well, yeah. it's like a moth to a flame. Profit margins in there are always going to be higher. Okay, exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, we're always going to be drawn back to that, going, well, my profit margins in that circle we call Asia or the Indo-Pacific, I can earn more money if I do that. So we're always going to be kind of going, like, how do I get in there? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not, and you mentioned risk. There's yeah. always going to be political, geopolitical risks. Exactly. Uh, let's but that's why you get paid, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. um, so you, you, you can't... As a, as a small trading company, yeah. you've got to take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture saying, well, the old Silk Road that's right. been in existence for 2,000 years, right. and now that's changed to include the Milk Road to come into Australia and Tasmania. Uh-huh. But there's always going to be political risk. Forget about in, in, in the thousands of years of human existence and countries have been in existence, yeah. the, uh, the political greeds and, and so forth and mm. the posturing, it's always going to happen. There'll be trade risks. There's happening with that now currently with, with China and you know yeah. putting some barriers on um, barley and wine and a, and a few other things as well. Right. That's always going to happen. Let's just be aware of that yes. and work around it. As business people. As like, business man- people. Like manage the risk. Yeah. See it for what it really, really is. It, it really is. It's yeah. always going to be there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but one of those risks, of course, is and not to be totally... And respect the politicians are, are managing... I think the politicians have a really difficult job. I wouldn't want to be one compared right. to... Because like, never, seriously, like, who who are your friends, right? Like, you're going, okay, you can't do business there, you can't do business there, right? Yeah. It's like, look, let them do what they need to do, right? And uh, yeah. why don't we, you know, try to do what we should do as business people, and if they're saying, you know, don't go there, kind of give it a break, right? One of the things, um, and it's not just... Uh, look, you mentioned, uh, we talked about being a seller's market as well. Yeah, right. But also this flow of goods. So yeah. as a seller of product, because the world is so flat uh, now when it comes yeah, to like that, information yeah. and yeah. whether it's you know, flow of people right. and so forth, yeah. but it's also the fact that goods that you require to produce your product comes from China. Right. And so yeah. forth. So yeah, that supply chain. That supply chain. Right. So unfortunately, for good or bad, a lot of companies have got into a situation that's uh, it's just on time supply of mm-hmm. dry goods. Yeah. Well, of course, you couldn't have seen a pandemic come. So a lot of uh, companies throughout Australia, and we're one, that have been just in time getting your dry goods supplied, good price delivered to your product. Sorry, to your to your warehouse, to your to your bottling facility. In our case, right? Yeah, yeah. And that now it's whole, been months. Yeah, that, it's been months in delay, yeah, right, so it's been yeah. severely constrained about supply of product. How did you guys I mean, work through that? Well, if I can ask. Well, one of the things that uh, was probably fortunate, sales fell off a cliff. Um, oh right, so it's kind of matched so up. It's, right? <laughs> it's matched up, but now the sales are going back up domestically again. Yeah, yeah. Now that 
now there's a, a problem there. So one of the things we as a company are looking at mm-hmm. is saying we need to be able to minimise our risk or lessen our risk and looking at getting other suppliers of our dry goods as well. Right, diversify. It's diversification right. and something that all business yeah. people go through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, the uh, yeah, I, I think um, in terms of um, what, what should we run through here now, Mike? What do you think? Um, we, we covered a lot. We have. Yeah, we have covered yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I um, think one of the things is, is companies working together uh, more. Right, yeah. That, when you were talking there, that thing where small companies go together, right? Yeah. And uh, when the Silk Road started... Right, there was that whole thing of uh, caravans, mm-hmm. and I think you even described some of the behavior that uh, the, the new owner of VDL was was using, which is uh, going around to business owners saying, "I'm going to move milk up the road here. Uh, do you want to do you yeah. want to get some space on the plane?" So that's kind of caravan behavior, yeah. right? And exactly. then the other, the other thing I think we should just touch on briefly too, like in terms of lessons from the Silk Road, which is a way, how do we use something like that as a, as a way to learn, right? Mm-hmm. So the two lessons that we talked about as well is, the, um, is when it got its name. So I'll leave that one and throw it over to you, but that whole caravan behavior and partners, how do you find partners to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on the milk road, how do you how do you find milk road partners? Because you can't do it all yourself. And yeah, please. Yeah, no. Well, that's one of the things is uh, is really like I mentioned earlier about uh, your competitor. Right. And too often, small businesses, you, you look at someone that's uh, fifty miles down the road as your competitor. Well, no, they're not. Um, in most cases, if you're a small producer looking at selling product internationally or domestically, yeah. If, you're, if you're if you're completely domestic only. Yeah, it's still. But, but even so, there's so much of the tourist trade coming in here that almost nobody can say that I'm purely domestic. Well, it's not even it's exactly. It's not just right? even the tourist trade. It's yeah. saying, you know what, um, you, you're you're really kidding yourself if you think that my business, uh, whether it may be in, in Burnie, Tasmania, yeah, uh, and someone else in, uh, say, let's say, Devonport or Devonport yeah. or Scottsdale, right, is uh, is my direct competitor if they are selling product into domestic Australia. Because you look at the mainland yeah, no of Australia, no the amount of product was flowing. And I mentioned, you know, the world is flat. Right. That's, that's what it is now. There's no great mountains. The amount of freight flowing through from all over the world. Your job as a small producer in Tasmania to tell yeah. your story, mm. that story without losing your intellectual knowledge can be harnessed with a partner in within Tasmania to combine your story about Tasmanian product into domestically as well because we're competing against Chile, we're competing against product from North America or wherever it may be. Right. F- coming into Australia, you're kidding yourself if if right. the if you think the world now is going to be saying, "Oh, Joe Bloggs, you're doing a great job uh, in Burnie, but uh, we want a better price than the one in Launceston." Well, doesn't that kind of go back to what you said uh, talked about at the very beginning, where there's so much rain? Yeah. And people think it's like um, it's a buyer's market when it's really a seller's Great. market. Yeah. So those people that are thinking we're going to, uh, you're my competitor, they're, they're not realizing they're in a seller's market. That's exactly right. Is that right? It's, it's a seller's market. <laughs> yeah. And like that, I mentioned that the story about the rain and, yeah. uh, you know, that we are, it's either too much, not enough, and we all right. complain about it or yeah. we all rejoice about it. Yeah. We just turned that thinking on its head. Right. Yeah. Which is what Elon Musk did with the electric car when he gave away all the patents. 
right? He's like, this industry's not going to grow unless I collaborate. Yeah. I got to take some risk to collaborate. Exactly. Right. You need partners yeah. to, to do it properly. Yeah. Uh, in and life. so that, and this is only just thinking, right? Yeah. Like thinking that I, I, we need to do that. It's a different way of thinking about a market that has changed. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, if you think that uh, no one else in the world has thought about something like that, how do they get their product into Australia, into Tasmania? Right. Then you're kidding yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah, you've yeah. got to be out there and, yeah. and actively yeah. producing your market, uh, producing your product properly to start mm -hmm. off with, and then selling the story. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a great story behind yeah. your product. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so um, I would, uh, before we go, I, I would like to just touch on that whole thing of Marco Polo didn't know he was on the Silk Road thing. Can mm. you tell, uh, uh, you want to tell what you know about that? Yeah, so um, one of the things, and, and it was with uh, Marco Polo didn't know uh, about the Silk Road, well, it was something that part of our conversation uh, recently, the Silk Road was only, the name itself was only invented in the 1870s. Right. So it's only been around for about 150 years. Right. So all that stuff that was happening for 2,000 years previously, they didn't know. But what an advantage it would have been for Marco Polo right. if he'd came up with that name yes. then to help and all the people since that know what they're doing and frame what they are selling and et cetera on those thousands of years of, of Silk Road. Right, which is... I we think know. What an advantage we've got now that we've just got to, the name to frame it around. Or just to know that we need a name, right? Yeah. Because you and I talked about how the Milk Road, it may not turn out to be the right name. Yep. It may change. Somebody yep. can come up with a better name. Yep. But if we look at this model where it, where they're, they're using the story model, right? There's a hero, there's a villain, mm. there's a victim. There's an old world. Say maybe you're living in a country in Asia that has a really poor food system. That's the old world, right? Yeah. And you can be a hero and you can go out and you can buy... Uh, the best water in the world and bring that home to your family, say, even as a gift on a special holiday, right? And the journey to get that water is part of the journey that they make, right? Yeah. And so we, uh, stories need a name for that path, like Dorothy in The Wizard of yes. Oz, right? Yeah. Like she was on the Yellow yeah. Brick Road. Like, you know, the human mind, as we're learning now, aligns to the story model. And so to, to help customers, your heroes, uh, help them understand that there is a road makes it easier for you guys to line up? Right? It, it, it's not just our, us to line up as well, but it's yeah. for the people who are at the other end of the Milk Road yes. who, uh, you know, that they, they uh, their lives are improving and they want right. to be purchase better product, better food, right. better yeah. water for their, right. for their kids, yes. uh, for their families. Yeah. The analogy I look at, it, uh, Adam, is... Um, why do people buy um, the top-end um, Mercedes or mm. Audi or Bentley or whatever it may be? Mm. Because they can and they want they have their money to afford it. Mm -hmm. And they want to say, I want to have a better product. So yes. If someone had said 10 years ago, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to a restaurant um, and I'm going to pay, um, say, $15 for a bottle of nice water, yeah, yeah it would have been unheard of and mm. you thought mad. That's the demand with something as simple as water as being now, people saying, you know what, we appreciate the fine things of life. It comes back to what we mentioned earlier. The life earlier. force. The life force. Right. It is. Yeah. But who would have thought that um, the market we're looking at now, as I mentioned before, something as basic as rain, we've turned it on its head. Yeah. And now we're the top end restaurants and, and hotels and so forth. 
but it's a basic commodity that's now marketed through the story of Rain Farmer, through rain farming and the northwest coast of Tasmania, it's this pristine, authentic place mm. that people are prepared to pay for it. Um, and so that's one of the, the things that people need to change their attitude of their product. And on that journey, yeah. on the Milk Road, mm. it's telling that story of selling their product into there, but also the fact that the flowing come back People from, are coming for it. They're coming for right? it. They, they, That's exactly Yeah, right. milk is a metaphor. They're, yeah. they're coming for that, the knowledge you talked about. Yeah. It's bigger than I think we, we think. And in a way, uh, you know, that um, uh, when we were standing on the, in that bar up in Hong Kong, it was like, yeah, I think we're on the milk road somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And to watch the life going yeah. past. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And how yeah. can we look at this thing in a different new way? And, yeah. uh, you know, we don't have to... Um, and, and even if we just do that, right? Even if we just use this almost like putting on a pair of glasses and looking at life differently yeah. and the opportunities and challenges differently, then if it's useful for that... Exactly right. right. Yeah. And forget about trying to sell um, the rest of the world. Right. Tasmania... Now, when you look at the amount of product that we sell out of here... Well, pick your customer. Exactly. It's picking your customer and picking the level that you want to go into as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, that covers a lot. I think uh, it was um, really helpful. Is there anything else uh, that we should cover? Any last thought here that you want, that you think uh, that people in Tasmania should hear when it comes to problem solving and and using storytelling? I uh, think uh, with the white noise, there's... uh, hundreds upon thousands of businesses and uh, that selling food products, mm. beverage products, or anything around the world. And uh, we have a fantastic story about this island state and the people that have the skills and this beautiful clean air and clean water and rich soils here. It's having the confidence to realise that we do have world-leading product here but take control of it and sell that yourselves. Get the right partners. Right. Don't try and do it yourself. Partner with someone else. Who even shares like storytelling your partners. Uh, even a storytelling partner. Right. And the right distribution systems as well. Those people that share your values. Yeah. Bring them in. Don't try and do it yourself. Right. Yeah. You, you will win. It's it's creating the pie bigger. It's not taking out slices of the pie that's going to make it smaller. That's one of the uh, things I really want to take out from today. Oh, that's beautiful. I think that's, uh, that's helpful for me to hear, and I hope it is for, for people that are listening uh, today. Yeah. So thank you very much, Mike. It was really fun. No, uh, thank, yeah, thank yeah, you, yeah, Adam, yeah, and yeah. Uh, we look forward to yeah. continuing this Milk Road journey. Yeah, exactly. Same yeah. here. Thanks. Okay, bye. Hello. Welcome to, back to the Milk Road podcast. Today we're here with Jared Castles, and um, uh, and I'd like to introduce him now and, uh, and and ask him, Jared, tell us your story. Well, uh, thanks very much for having me on here, Adam. This is very cool. Um, just in terms of my story, I grew up in Tasmania, born on the northwest coast, Sheffield. Um, went to school in uh, Devonport, then university in Hobart. Studied history, taught for a couple of years, did some postgrad history. And then I had my career took an interesting turn in that uh, a friend of mine was recruited into McKinsey and Company, the international consulting firm, um, told me about a job going there and I ended up working for McKinsey, travelling the world before coming back here in the mid-90s and I've been here ever since. 
So in there you uh, go. One, one way to say that is you went out onto the Milk Road and came home. Exactly. But uh, yeah, yeah, that must have been a fascinating um, uh, journey uh, working with McKinsey yeah. and a lot of those really clever people. Yeah. It yeah. was it was it was terrific on a number of levels. I learned there, and my role was to help consulting teams take really complex data and turn it into a compelling narrative for clients around what they should do. That was my job. Well, you're really good at that now. I've seen it happen. Oh, yes, well, you yeah. are. I but, mean, you helped me already um, with the Milk Road as a concept. Yeah. Um, and, um, and it's been really fun to talk with you earlier today about that. Yeah, please tell me uh, more. Well, yeah. Ed, so uh, that was got to operate around that in the McKinsey environment on a number of levels. One was just like literally helping individuals and teams construct powerful, compelling narratives for clients when they're advising them on recommended courses of action. The other things I got involved in were what they called in the game transformation, where you'd be taking a whole company and transforming it over two or three years. And part of my job was to help leaders of companies develop um, compelling what they call change stories that could underpin mm. a two to three year transformation and strangely and why did, enough why did they need the stories to do that why well, why was the story component uh, so important well it takes more than a powerpoint presentation to get people moving okay and so what you needed to bring together was both logic and the emotional power of a story to explain to people where they'd been, where they are, where they're going, how they're going to get there, in a way that appealed to them as individuals and appealed to hearts and minds. Oh, so the heart, uh, the mind is moved by data. Yeah. Uh, and the heart is uh, moved by emotion, emotion created in the story. And we were talking yeah. about it today. Like right, I became yeah. fascinated with this. So like micro stories, like... Um, uh, convincing a client, uh, advising a client they should move into the Indonesian market. That's a micro story. Mm. But at the macro level, if you're transforming a company that's been around for 200 years, um, you need to have different components. And some of those, a change narrative has a number of well-known components and Harvard have studied this at length. We are talking about it earlier today. Yeah. A story must have, um, it must flow. There must be a sequence well, to there's it, a model, an, right? an arc. Yeah. There must be heroes and right. villains. And, people and what need, else besides heroes and villains? And people need to be able to see themselves in it. Yeah. You must see yourself in the story. Okay, so like a mirror, if you will. In a way, it's like you must you associate with the, with the hero or you associate mm. with the people. And that's mm, when mm, mm. the great stories um, transport you to somewhere different. And great leaders of companies understand that and they... They tell stories that are powerful and move people. Mm. Well, you guys did that back in, what was it, 2000 or earlier with uh, T- Tasmania Together? Well, here we yeah. go then. So <laughs> this is the other part of my story. So yeah. I, I came back to Tasmania mid-90s, and um, 1994. And back then, as anyone in Tasmania will know, Tasmania was a basket case. Uh, it was a joke of the nation. Um, highest unemployment, poorest health least educated um, people in the Commonwealth, other, other than in on, the, on some measures the Northern mm. Territory. They mm. were a basket case. And um, one of the interesting things for me and other people like me was that I'd been out and seen the world. I'd worked in London, Paris, New York, Sydney, mm. 
I'd seen the world and I realised that that from the outside in, Tasmania was incredibly special. Mm. There was something that was globally significant here, but in, strangely enough, Tasmanians didn't even appreciate it. So you had a unique point of view. I, I think so. I think Somewhat a lot of, unique. I, I, valuable. It was valuable. <laughs> yeah. and I found it really moving. And then when I came back, um, I got involved in... I got seriously involved in um, in a lot of environmental issues, but also a lot of talk, having conversations with people around what can Tasmania be, where is it going, how's it get there, what's oh, it right. take, and um, a really interesting thing happened uh, politically uh, around the turn of the century. In that, um, there's a premier, Jim Bacon, came to power, and there's a series of premiers did interesting things, mm-hmm. um, no doubt. Uh, they all did in their own way, but Jim Bacon was the first of the premiers in my lifetime that I saw that had a story to tell about Tasmania. And I mean that as a story. Right. And he told the story about this ar- archipelago, like not an island, but an archipelago, because we're a series of islands, mm. and about the fact that um, the people of Tasmania had something special inside them and that... Um, there were ways out of what we found ourselves in. And he, he, um, he talked about, because um, then the Celtic Tiger story was big, you know, islands turn around, etc. Okay. And so a conversation, he started a process in Tasmania called uh, Tasmania Together, where they asked a series of, to de- and the idea of Tasmania Together was to develop a strategy and vision for Tasmania that would take it into the next 20, 50 years. Mm. And they asked a, a group of people in the community to lead the process around that, and I was one of those people. And it was a really interesting, amazing experience to go out and talk to Tasmanians and all sorts of people around the world about what could Tasmania be. Right. And so you developed uh, an under better understanding about uh, what your initial gut feeling was when you came back yeah. by doing that. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yep. Yeah. And... Yeah. Um, the Tasmania Together things is something in and of itself in that ultimately that didn't deliver an end product as such. And actually there was quite a bit of... It ended in a fractious way, um, interestingly enough, at the time over the forest industry and clear felling and whether that was part of where Tasmania could be. But that I always saw that as separate. I saw the most important thing out of Tasmania Together was it started a conversation around what Tasmania could be. Oh, right, and right, one right. Of the, things the that new em- world. That, yeah, well, one of right, the things that yeah. emerged from it was that this thing that is Tasmania is an idea, and uh-huh. that idea has value. And mm. the way I described what I was hearing to people um, about it was that if you were sitting down in New York and having a conversation with someone, they say, so where are you from? And you say, I'm from Tasmania there's an image that comes into their mind Mm -hmm. and that image is about a place that's wild and clean and far away and sort of magical and mysterious Mm. and in a and what i think that's the essence of a brand well yeah exactly as you were saying it was like brand brand and i think that's a that's a was a people need in order to have a brand People need a story in the mm. back of their mind. That's mm. how they understand. Is that right? Or yeah. what are you thinking? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. 
brands are stories. And it's not in right. a cheap sense. And But it was a nice metaphor to think mm. about the idea of Tasmania. But that was a new thing in the late 90s and 2000. That was a new was idea. It? Yeah. Well, now the, it's a big the, the brand. The brand concept or the, the, the brand story concept? Because I think storytelling uh, has also changed just well, in the last I think, 10, 20 years. But I right? think that'll yeah. come next. I think Do you? people have started to get onto the idea of brand. Uh-huh. But here they don't. I don't think. I don't think Tasmanian Tasmania manages it well enough. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, you know, things can always improve, right? Yeah. Where, but I, I think yeah. that the idea of story will come next. What I think that's a, well, maybe that's why brand isn't working as well as you think it could be. Mm. Maybe because the story process hasn't actually uh, mm. been executed long enough mm. for people to understand that. Mm. Is that what do you think about that? Yeah, it could be. It could be. I, I actually don't. Because it takes think... a long time to do these things, right? Like that work that you did, Tasmania yeah. together. Yeah. And I learned about it first by reading that article in the Mercury. Yeah, right? yeah. And then I was like, I want to meet the fellow that's in that. Yeah. And, then, uh, and I was fortunate enough to meet you that way. And we literally bumped into each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, but what I read took away from that uh, that news article was that the story that you created then. Uh, was actually the story of what Tasmania has become today. Is strangely, that fair? Strangely enough, and I didn't create it. I think it, it was the cumulative outcome of that. You guys worked together to create it. Like exactly. It just was a conversation, and you described what you thought the future think, should look like. Yeah. And the article, maybe it's wrong, and but they you, said that that's where we are now. Exactly. If yeah. you turn around 20 years later, a lot of the things that people talked about, about... Right. Um, re- People wanting to come here to do remote working. Yeah. Um, about Tasmania right, being a brand, right now, right? <laughs> a brand that is globally recognised. Yeah. A whole bunch of things are being ticked. Mm-hmm. Um, there's much to do on the social outcomes side, but it's Tasmania has a, has achieved a lot of what yeah. was hoped for. You know what's kind of interesting to hear that is to kind of um, – somebody could say that the work that you guys did didn't, uh, didn't affect that. It wasn't mm-hmm. correlated to no. it. It didn't drive it. No. But I think what's interesting as a business person is to think, though, if I had heard that conversation back then, then it would almost be like a road map. Yeah. And I could start betting on that road map yeah. to understand like, where, things are, where smart people think things are going to go. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Absolutely. I think it right. just creates an idea. I think there's value in it. Uh-huh. It creates an idea that then creates a path. And right. let, let yeah, me give yeah. you the practical side of that. Yeah. One of the women I worked with in Tasmania together, Anna, was very much in the arts community. And she said, I remember it at the time, and she, she was um, put this idea out there. She said, there's a, there's a gallery in New York called the Guggenheim, and it's phenomenally famous, as we all know. Hmm. The Guggenheim built a gallery in Bilbao. And Anna said, why can't we have a Guggenheim in Hobart? Mm. And it was treated as laughable. Right. And the head of of Premier and Cabinet at the time wrote an article in the Mercury decrying this and saying how dangerous it was to dream impractical dreams. And now, 20 years on, 20 (laughs) years on, what have we got out, out out on the Derwent River? We've got something that's better than the Bill Bayo in um, Guggenheim. Yeah, globally. I We've think got Mona, I, I which is a... I think it's, it's better known. 
it's it's renowned. Or it's at least equal. But if you said that in 1999, people would have laughed. It was it's, like the equivalent of going to the moon. And yet David Walsh well, has built, built this amazing thing. But it's thing. scary to think that somebody in a leadership position like that would... Um, would uh, be able to kind of knock back yeah, an idea. I found it really which, strange, yeah. Right, yeah, that's... Um, and I, I get it that people make mistakes, but uh, I guess change is hard to to manage even when it's only an idea. Yeah. Right, like even bringing up an idea of having that. Like, well, why this, is that dangerous? Well, it was seen... And this was <laughs> right. one of the themes of the Tasmania yeah. Together thing. Some of the sort of wild-ass stuff that was talked about in there was seen as mm. politically dangerous at the time. Like... You know, the you know, question was, like, where does clear-felling rainforest fit in a Tasmanian brand that's seen as wild and clean? That's a legitimate question. Agreed. Um, it's a big one. It's a very big question. Yeah. But these things are dangerous by their nature. But the, I think coming back to your... change is hard, right? You, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. But you're interested... Coming back to that interesting question you asked at the outset. So... Um, uh, big ideas and narratives around big ideas are are important, and often often it starts a process that's super important. And I, that was my big learning from from um, Tasmania together. Mm-hmm. When people said it failed and it failed because people on the advisory group split, I said no. It I, was a, it was a raging success. It created a conversation. So. Yeah that played a role mm. in helping Tasmanians dream a future into existence. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? That's what yeah. all the smart people tell me. Yeah. Right? You know, you hear that, right? Like, yeah. you know, what uh, uh, dream big, I think there's even yeah. an Einstein quote, right? Yeah. Which is if you don't have imagination. But right? now, the interesting thing now, my corporate work, um, the whole... Uh, Storytelling um, is being rediscovered in the corporate world. It's big. They're is that right? Yeah. Absolutely huge. Because like, so, I don't see that and I don't have access to see that, but you're end, actually executing yeah, that. High that end right? corporates, it's about narrative, anecdote, and storytelling. And, it's a, and how new is that? Like, how long well, like, it's has not, it changed? In, like, in human the, civilization, it's yeah. not. <laughs> no, but since I mean, people like, were sitting around fires and grunting in caves, right. you know, it's like, let me tell you a story about what happened today. We, yeah. we, and as I said to that you last... That sounds like one of mine, actually. But <laughs> as, I t- as I told you last when we were chatting last night, people are hardwired for stories. So you're all right, you have yeah. to do is you're sitting around a table yeah. and you say, yeah. let me tell you a story. And it creates a physiological reaction... Mm. that opens you up to receiving information in a way that when someone clicks up a complex PowerPoint slide and you go, oh, I don't know what that means. Right. But, so people understand stories. But the art of creating stories and telling stories is an art. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an art. I, that's my understanding too. So, um, and that art is art that big companies can afford. I think anyone right. can afford it. Oh, do you? Okay. All right. But, I mean, are we seeing that uh, all through the, uh, you know, the SME community, the, you know... Not like, so much. You're right. Like, the wah, big wah. corporates do it around transformations, whatever. Because they think, can afford to hire people like you. Yeah. And other storytellers, like Apple hired Nancy Duarte. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. You know? But, like, a, a small business like mine, like, honestly, where do I find the storyteller which who's going to step in and be like... Here's the model. Where is that? Well, How do we do that? Well, yeah. I think this is one of the interesting things. You can you can plot out 
the elements of a story in a way that anyone can mm. actually do it. And, and like, yeah, fair enough. All right, I did, true. I've done. Oh, I've done this with um, big corporates before, right. where um, I'll actually say to them, "Look, in order to explain what's going on to our to our staff, our stakeholders, we need to be able to tell a story, and it's going to have three components. It's like where we were, okay, and that's about what we've done and what we're proud of, yeah, and 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 uh, what was driving us to change, where we are." Okay. And where we're going, right? That you, and you can wrap that together into a story. Mm. But I think that, I think that for a lot of the startups that you know you, you're talking to, uh-huh. I think what they need to be able to do is to tell a story about their business, not just put together ten PowerPoint slides. Agreed. We were looking at that one earlier, and uh, there, there's that movie out there, The Matrix, right? Yeah. Uh, you know where Neo's like seeing the code or yeah. whatever, right? And it's like the average person can't do that. Like no. they just see data. It's like yeah. we need this. We we need the the support structure yeah. to understand how that data all fits together, and it's like the story model almost seems like it's um, part of the human psyche yeah. where if there's no hero uh, fighting a villain uh, in an, you know, trying to move from an old world to a new world yeah. on a path, yeah. then it's like, what does it mean to me? I don't care. Yeah? Is that That's right? That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it. And so I think, you know, um, I think that's part of the, part of the, um, the challenge for, for startups is actually to, to be able to craft together that compelling story for investors and customers that customers bring, right that like brings, client partners yeah that, that's exactly right that yeah. brings what they do to life mm. so that it's something that as you say they can you know and it's like hollywood movies it, they always start out with something that is there's yeah. a situation like right now we blah 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 yes then there's a thing that changes mm. but wouldn't it be or you know there's something that happens and then and then it gets resolved Right. And I think that um, I think that's a big challenge for these uh, for startups. But the good news is, I think it's well, for all businesses. For all I mean, businesses. I, think, I mean, I think mm. the challenge of startups, right, is that um, it's it's true. Uh, it's easy because it's true, and everyone can say, uh, "Look, they're not going to move the dial in the economy. Mm. Like we need to to move the we need to focus on projects that are going to move the big dial. You know, very easily move mm. it in a big way." and then existing businesses as well, right? Mm. But we are seeing startups move the dial in other economies, right? Mm. So, you know, I think um, I'm, I guess maybe I'm overly hopeful, but I'm, I'm thinking that uh, the story model hasn't been that applied yet yeah. as it could be in Tasmania because superficially it's so easy to say, and I'd even say myself like a year ago or mm. six months ago, like, yeah, I can tell a story, but those simple components uh, Do you know what I, I was think, missing them? Yeah, I think something too that makes it eminently interesting, and I, I bring it back to myself with this. Mm. Uh, when I first moved away, like in the late 80s, and you said you're from Tasmania, but Tasmania was seen as a bit of a joke. Now, if you're a business or a person, and they say, where are you from? You say, I'm from Tasmania. You often get the response, wow. Yeah, aren't you lucky? And so a startup that's Have you heard here, that? yeah. a startup that's here, yeah, right, has an advantage because we're not yeah. everywhere else, you know. And I think so too. And I and I mean to to um, as soon as I hear that, my mind immediately says uh, one of those advantages is that we're in the time, same time zone as 
more than half the world's population yeah. of a place that we call Asia. Absolutely. Right? So, like, if there's an immediate, uh, you know, need for something, people in California are asleep. Yeah. New York, they're asleep. Yeah. Europe, they're asleep. Yeah. You know, Asia wants something at, uh, you know, 1 p.m. We're here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> we, we're in the same, right? Yeah. And as we move online, I think that that becomes a more valuable part of the Tasmanian story as a platform yeah. uh, that's in Asia. What do you think about that? Because that's that kind of Milk Road. That's one of the concepts about the Milk Road. What do you, yeah. What do you you see that thing in this story? That's pretty. I think that yeah. I think time zones a big deal, but I think there's way more than that. I think it's. I think oh, yeah. the thing, yeah. the Milk Road thing, that is the big deal in the Tasmanian story, is. And we're looking out right now over these trees and the skies, the purity and the cleanliness. Mm. And we've all worked, most of us have been to Asia and worked there. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, stu- I've stood in rooms where I've been running workshops in Hong Kong and I've just tried to describe what Bruni Island is like. Really? And people go, wow. <laughs> what planet are you talking about? Wow. And like, yeah. so we have something magical. Mm. Here, as well as some as some very practical advantages like time zone, mm. but so we are proximate, but we're we're distanced enough. Safe, that we, different, yeah. And um, I think they are they are massive advantages. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes. Um, and so, when you did that work with um, uh, the uh, Jim Bacon and Tasmania together, um, mm. where? Was storytelling as a model? Was that, no. did you, no? <laughs> yeah. But I think that's actually one of the big ideas that came out of it for me. Uh-huh. The big idea that came out of it for me, and it wasn't our job to create it. Like we talked to hundreds, if not thousands of people in Tasmania about what did they see Tasmania as being today, mm-hmm. where did they want it to be, and what might we do to get there. And in distilling those hundreds of conversations that I personally participated in, as well as reading everything else that everyone came up with, that that idea of, like, that, and to use your words, the Tasmanian brand and the story around that Mm -hmm. was the big idea. Mm -hmm. And it's not a logo or a stamp. Mm. It, It is truly a story. And the other thing that came out of it, and this was something I felt very strongly about at the time, was that that wasn't a byproduct. If you say this is this is what Tasmania is and what that's about, then you drive everything off it and you live it and you protect it, and um, right, uh, and you. And you're invested in that story. You're invested Everybody you, buys into that story. And everything right. gets driven off that. And right. you protect it like crazy. And I think that's what we have to learn to do here. We have to learn to protect the brand, mm. not just leverage it. Right. It's Yeah. And I think, too, that's where I think uh, it will take more time because um, if we're only getting uh, some of the companies at the big end of town mm. uh, creating that story, yeah. then... You know, own the, then the rest of society and uh, the business culture is going. Well, that's not really part of my story. I'm not yeah. part of that story. I don't buy into that. That's what do you, I, That's why I think it's important that uh, that the storytelling technique mm. 
mm. becomes uh, more valuable to the rest of mm. the businesses here mm. because it's like um, it's like we're it's a way to access that data mm. and to to find out what their future what they think it should look like mm -hmm. and then uh, m m uh, develop the brand out of that story mm. and then have them leverage it mm. Th that's not wrong thinking is it no yeah. it's not because yeah. this isn't just something for Blunston and Bogues and right, Cascade yeah. which is great that and they're doing it but like so you can't just no. serve the big end of town no right? this is yeah. this is this goes uh, this goes way deeper than that and this, yeah. it should be something that the smaller startup can and should leverage. And I do think too, um, you know, every, a liberal democracy is about every citizen being of equal value in terms mm. of vote and, and, mm. uh, and place in society and culture, right? Mm. And, uh, and if we're ignoring people's story at the commercial level, uh, wherever they work in business, if we're going, well, you know what, the bigger story is more important, then what does that mean? Mm. Yeah. I, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I right. agree. What does yeah. that mean, right? Yeah. Like, why, why aren't we? Oh, gosh, the funny one on the podcast the other day was Mike Buckby up in um, Smithton. Oh, yeah. Um, he was saying that uh, uh, his great-grandfather, uh, I think in like 1905, yeah. uh, you know, so like more than 100 years ago, yeah. was uh, has written in his diary that, um, you know, I really wish uh, people in the government would spend more time out in the field understanding what uh, some of the commercial problems that we're facing here are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nothing's and changed. To, and I said to Mike, like, Mike, we're working on your great-grandfather's problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, which is understanding the story mm. in regional Tasmania. Yeah. Which is, but that's, you know, and I'm not here to, to, to say that, um, that that's easy to solve, but we do have technology now, mm. and we do have new models for that. Mm. I think some of the challenges is how do we um, scale that out, mm. right? But mm. there's going to be resistance too because people just don't believe it. What do you mean? Like, it believe, it, like they don't believe that it'll work. What do you mean? It's like uh, the like technology? If, like if I go to the gym and my guy says do 10 push-ups a day because yeah. your arms will go out to whatever yeah. and I'll be like that ain't going to happen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean that belief. Like yeah. it, they, they don't believe the story model can actually help them. And when I talk with yeah, people about the Milk mean. Road concept yeah. here in Tasmania, they go, why would we need that? Yeah. And then I say, well, because you need a name for the journey that you're on, uh, and you need to be able to you know, broadcast that message to your customers, yeah. and you need to turn your customers into hero. You're the mentor, yeah. right? Like, you know, that relationship. And they go, yeah, we don't need that. Yeah. I, look, I know there's always going to be people who um, doubt it, but... I just think it's. Uh, I think it is a really important part of of business. I've seen it. I think you do. I right. think you do need it. And I can understand if and someone's it's already. It's fun. Like you told me that story the other day, where you were working on something, and uh, you know this company had some real problems. Yeah. And the guy that was in charge of it, uh, you sat him down. You were like, "Look, you've got the data, but yeah. you've got to go tell those people a story that." that they will understand. Yeah, number one, they'll understand. That was yeah. um, the, the CEO of a big service company. And it's just not enough to have the... They were on the verge of making two mistakes. One was they were just going to communicate data. But the worst thing was they they had their... Uh, they weren't going to share the story with the rest of the organisation. Yeah, they were going to... And it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Then everyone else would have been in the dark. So yeah, we're I, the story's non-authentic, like but, we're being lied to. But Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. But I think... 
groups that like to bring it all the way back. I think, you know, stories are important. Stories are something that people understand. It brings together um, heart and mind. Mm. Um, uh, and I think actually for a, for a little startup too, I think that if you can't articulate your story, you don't know what your business I strategy is. I agree I was just, as you were so saying that, I was thinking it's it, like, yeah, it's like, it's and, a way actually to build um, what you think the future should fit into. And, yeah. then, and then you can use that to figure out who else's yeah. story fits together with yours because you'll read that that story doesn't fit me. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. So I think the part of the challenge is to, um, to, exp- to convince, uh, you know, the, the, the SME community and smaller mm. business community mm. who, are, who are actually slammed with COVID right now. Yeah. Like, they don't have enough time. But I also think, too, is that, like, if you don't have your story right, then... Yeah. Exactly. Don't leave the house. No, that's all right. <laughs> right, yeah. You have to. Right. Like, that's how Blunston became uh, famous, is they built a story around yeah. their, their product. That's right. Every business does that, right? Mm. Every successful one does. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the takeaway. And I think, um, I think the, the fascinating thing right now that you're bringing to it is that it's not just like a small localised story. This is a global story, and it's about how we relate to... Uh, how what we do and the products we have and 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 the services we provide relate not only to small areas in Tasmania but to the rest of Australia, um, the world, and particularly to Asia. Well, I think that that I agree with that, and I think it, you know mm. if I uh, compare my experience of yours of, uh, of being outside Tasmania and yeah. coming here, it's a the, the Milk Road as an idea is actually a story that I tell myself. Mm-hmm. And I needed a name for that journey of that thing that I flew on a yeah. hundred times back and forth. It's like, I hate the Milk Road. I'm tired of it. It's yeah. an exhausting place <laughs> to work and live sometimes. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's villains, there's thieves, there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's the greatest people in the world on there too. Yeah. And I'm just one of the characters in there that's kind of struggling in there. Yeah. But uh, when I get home... I know that uh, we have, you know, metaphorically and in reality, the best milk in the world yeah. and everything that flows in behind it. No wonder uh, people that live in Asia uh, see coming here as a dream. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I use it, too, to explain the boats, right? Mm. Like, you know, people coming from Indonesia, mm. right? You know, mm. they're dying literally to get into Australia. Mm. I see them trying to come south on the Milk Road. So, you know, for a better life, right? Yeah. So, now, and there's one other critical point you just raised. Like, to be able to tell a story about uh, what, what it is you want to do and what you bring to, uh, bring to the world, you need to have some understanding of the people you're telling that story to. So we need to work harder to understand who we're talking to in Asia, potentially, too, about what it is we do. And right. I, I think that's one of the... One of the big, big weaknesses in Tasmania is that it's isolated, okay. and and we don't necessarily have the knowledge and skills and relationships in Asia that are required to to understand how to share a story in a way that is that our Asian customers and and uh, stakeholders will understand. 
but also puts us in a position of um, also strength. Right, so well, we're nar- narrative we're, control. Yeah, totally. Right, in a world where you can actually choose your customer. Yeah, that's right. Because we do live in a seller's market. Yeah, right? we like do. If every person who wants to come to Tasmania could. Yeah, that's imagine right. Imagine that. Yeah, no. I, yeah. yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, not everybody fits on the milk road to Tasmania. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. So, all right. Um, so what else? Uh, does that cover it all? Do we, uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot to learn here. I th- I'm really glad to get a chance to um, uh, hear more about uh, uh, Tasmania together and to, to share that with people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, who, who may not be familiar with that work. So have to rethink about it. Yeah, and I think, right? I think that's a... That's interesting because what it says about what this place can be. But I also like what you're talking about with um, that how important it is to be able to uh, for individuals and companies to actually start to think about just what is their story, mm. like, and how do you put but what that is together? it now? What could it be? Yeah, right. And then the action plan to get there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. which is not easy to do. Like yeah. it's very, it's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, just and I think. Just, look, I'm just thinking yeah. now. As you, it's not like I, I, I think that's one of the things that um, we could do and we should do for startups is just to start to provide like a simple framework that people can follow and populate. Right. Because um, there is a model. Like there is there, a simple model, and you there can, are you know, you can. Um, and you but can, you, yeah, um, you could, yeah, that they, they actually do need to think about that, and I think construct a story about their company, not just a. You know, a ten-page PowerPoint slide that talks about numbers. Yeah, that's um, that's deadly. That doesn't work. No. Yeah, and that's frustrating for that. Yeah. Yeah. So leveraging the creativity that exists in a story and in that model. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, I think um, as we talked about earlier, that's um, uh, that's what I find the Milk Road is useful for, like mm. as a story within that component yeah so thanks for uh yeah uh understanding and thinking about that and uh, and helping me understand it too yeah well it's yeah. Fu- it's fun i think mm-hmm. you are asking a big question about what's our relationship with the the rest of the world and particularly through asia i think that's that's a defining question of our of the of our times and the next generation i think so too and the future is optional yeah that's right, exactly like we don't, right. yeah, you don't know what it's going to be. No. And the milk road, you know, some days is very dangerous, mm. and it can become more dangerous. And other other days, uh, you know, it feels you know safer. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's a name for something that's changing all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah cool. All right, well, why don't we uh, wrap it up there? Is there any last uh, thing you want to say to finish it up? I'll give you the last word if you oh, like. Oh, is yeah. uh, only thanks. I reckon yeah. it's fun. I reckon it's yeah. great, and I think it's important to think about it. Great. And I just encourage everyone who's listening to think about what's the story you want to tell to your customers and clients? And, and with them as the hero and you as the mentor. Yeah. 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 Great. All right. All right. Beautiful. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Yeah, thank you. you. Yeah. Bye.